Hello and welcome to Stories from Foster Care, a brand new podcast series from the Irish Foster Care Association. My name is Neve Barrett and over the course of this series I will be meeting people from all walks of life who have different experiences of foster care in Ireland. When you have children that come into your care, don't go in with this idea that you're saving them because you're not, it's not, you're not saving a child. You're actually taking a child away from what they were used to. And Mm. if it was that mammy or daddy drank every night or took drugs or did whatever, that was their normal. On this episode of Stories from Foster Care, I'm talking to Sandra Parker. Sandra is a foster carer from Tipperary who's been fostering for 21 years. She's one of four sisters, three of whom foster. She came in to chat about her experiences as a foster carer. We had a really engaging conversation full of very helpful information for anyone who's thinking about fostering. So Sandra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming in to chat to us today. Thank you very much, Neve. Delighted to be here. So maybe let's start at the, at the beginning. How and, and when did you become a foster carer? How did it happen? I suppose to figure out how I became a foster carer, you'd have to look at the way I was brought up myself. So I'm one of four girls and two boys, and uh, two of my other sisters are also foster carers. We were brought up in a home. My father um, was in the army and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. And he was always very good and very caring to our neighbours. Would bring uh, food into people. They, as he called them, the old folks. Sure, he was. They were nearly just a bit older than himself, <laughs> but he would. All, he was always looking after people around uh, in our neighbourhood. And we just had that community in Clonmel, where I'm from. Your key was left in the front door, and you know we were able to live like that. The children were all out on the street playing. I remember when my younger brother was born, um, Alan. I'm 11 years older than him, but on the on the day he was born, he was born at home. And uh, we live in a cul-de-sac and the two walls of all the houses going down into the cul-de-sac was full of children. And when the doctor came uh, with his black bag, I think somebody asked him, was the baby in it? But uh, (laughs) when um, when he came back out and he said it was a boy, there was a scatter. He said he never saw children move so quickly. All the children had to run home to tell. Imagine my poor mother up in the in the bedroom when I think of it now. (laughs) Imagine if you're up in the bedroom giving birth to your 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 youngest child and the whole of the avenue was waiting to hear what she was going to have. So um, my mother, my father was very good to my mother when we were younger. He was a very caring man. He used to get us all up for school every morning. He'd have the, the kettle boiled and the water in the sink for you to wash yourself with. And he'd have your breakfast on the table. And he would take us to school. But before he did that, he'd bring her up a cup of tea and a slice of brown bread. And that happened every single day. And wow. we'd get sent up, but we'd long hair, we'd get sent up and she'd be lying up in the bed and the hand would come down and she'd brush your hair and you'd be sent off to school and that was it. So that's where it came from. And I suppose we just all, we grew up with caring about other people and, and in our community and, and how we could help people. Um, I was, got married then and I went to live in South Africa. I was there for nine years. I came home in 1990 and my niece died on Christmas Eve when I was at home. Um, She was severely physically and mentally handicapped. 
she was non-verbal Roshan she was the light of our 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 all of our lives I suppose and in the, there's a huge gap after she left but I suppose from her we learned not to be afraid of children that were anyway different or children that needed a little bit of extra care um, when she was younger she had to be tube fed but in the nowadays we have these machines that we can hook children up to but in those days it was you had to hold the feed up over her head for gravity and the the feed went went into her that way um she was often on death's door and then she'd pull herself back together and i always remember when when she died it was christmas eve and she had gotten ill and she'd gone back up to Dublin and my sister had two other children that they'd come back down the nurses said to them in Temple Street you know come back down you'll be okay and when they came down we were all at mass and then when we got home they we got the call to say that she had struggled and she had died but I do feel in hindsight maybe that she couldn't die while they were with her because she hung on to life because of her parents so many times she was at death's door and then so when I came home, then I kind of just brought it home. We went back out to South Africa and it just brought it home to me that my own parents were getting older and I was so far away. So I came back to uh, Clamel. I lived in Clamel for another two years and my husband went to Abu Dhabi. So I went out to Abu Dhabi for a year then, but that didn't really work out well in terms of you know, living in a kind of a, a country like Abu Dhabi. So we came back and we stayed in Clamel, um, myself and my two children, and my husband came over and back for a while. Um, we separated then, and when my son was about 18, I think um, my sister, my mother was getting ill at that stage. My father had died in 1991, a year after Roshan had died. And um, my, in, my mother then was getting, wasn't doing very well, and my sister, uh, my younger sister Eileen said that um, she was going to take some time off work to stay at home with Mammy and look after her. And then I saw an ad in the paper and the ad was looking for foster cares. So I said to my sister, why don't you apply to be a foster care? And she said, but I'm not married. And I said, well, it doesn't say that you have to be married. It says, can you provide a loving and caring home? And I said, you can. You can provide a loving and caring home. So she made the application into fostering and... Uh, was approved and 21 years and four months ago um, our first child came into our lives through the fostering system and she is still with my sister and her sister is also with my sister so they're doing you know the one is 21 this year and the other is 20 this year so that has been a very good outcome for everybody there so that's how I got I suppose involved a little bit in fostering in terms of supporting her and helping her and um, then I applied to become a foster care and I the first boy I ever had in foster care is still involved with me he was 21 uh, last month a lovely boy um, People come into foster care for different reasons. Some people just need a little bit of help. Um, I don't think there's the stigma around. I would hope that there isn't the stigma around being in foster care that there would have been years ago. Um, some people need help for different reasons. <clears throat> so it's it's good that we're able to give that, that help uh, for the children that we need. Over the years, I suppose, I have fostered around 30 children. Some of them have been very high um, levels of support in terms of medical support that the children have needed. Um, I had a child that um, had spina bifida and hydrocephalus. So she was a lovely little girl and she went on to be adopted. 
I've had a few children that have very high medical needs. And um, I suppose at one stage, my own children would have asked me if they heard I, there was a new placement coming. They would have almost said, you know, what, what's wrong? <laughs> Is there something wrong? Because they would always seem to be the ones. But I suppose it's because we had we had no fear around looking after children that had, you know, special needs or extra needs above and beyond. Um, so th that was always a good a good part of it. Uh, the fostering community is very good in Clamel. You know, we do get to meet, we do peer support through Tusla ourselves and we get to meet up. COVID hasn't been a friend to anybody, unfortunately, at the moment. And people haven't been able to get together as much maybe as we would have had in previous years. But it is beginning to open up a bit again. So we're hoping, you know, that in the next couple of months now, between IFCA and with TUSLA, that uh, we'll get to have a few more uh, engagements and get to see people face to face, which is great. Um, I'm involved with training new foster carers. So I really enjoy doing that as well. Um, I think the participants like talking to a foster carer because we tell it as it is. It's it's very real for us because we're 24-7 when we're fostering. It's not a nine-to-five job for us. <clears throat> and that's really important. Yeah. Really yeah. important. Yeah, it is. It's in your home. It's it's all the time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, and it can be very nerve-wracking for people. They don't know what to expect. And for a child as well. A child is coming into a house. They don't know if you've got two heads or, you know, what you're going to be like or whatever. And so everybody's on their, you know, their tippy toes going around for the first while. But, you know, it's it's very, very rewarding work being a foster care. And I think, you know, foster carers are just very ordinary people that do an extraordinary job uh, in the community for people. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of foster carers out there that work really hard and advocate, you know, through very, sometimes very extreme difficulties dealing with, you know, with all the other agencies that we have to deal with. And you know, they are their voice for the children that they foster and they do a great job of mm. it. And I, I love the way you put it, that, that it's um, something you do in the community. Yes. So it's happening in the four walls of your home in a way, but it's actually it, in the wider. It really is mm. impacting the whole community yeah. uh, when you look at it that way. So you mentioned the rewards. What would you say some of the rewards have been over your couple well, of decades now of fostering? I was, yeah, I would often think, you know, when I started fostering myself, um, I was probably just getting out of having my own children. As I said, my son was 18 and, and some of my friends around me said, why are you doing this? This is crazy. This is the time you should be off doing whatever by yourself and doing whatever. But I just feel that it gave me a purpose in my life to get up every single day. If I didn't, if I didn't have that purpose, you know, I'd, my life would be so empty if I didn't have had, if I hadn't had all those children that have come through my life and that children there's been ups and downs there's been very difficult placements there's been lovely rewarding placements um i've had two children that went for adoption you know the pre-adoption system we have here in in ireland is that they stay in foster care for a year before they go on to be fully adopted so it gives everybody a chance to make up their minds and see what way they're going you know and that is lovely that children it's great to see children go back to to parents that just needed a little bit of help and I, I think as a foster carer, I would never overly dwell on placements that didn't work out because you, you go into it, you do the very, very best you can and 
there has to be some kind of, a, I suppose, an onus on the people themselves to, to have the responsibility to take on board the help. And you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. And unfortunately, somewhere along the line, maybe I have often had children that will come back to me afterwards, say years afterwards, and say, I really appreciated what you were doing for me. And I know I didn't tell you enough at the time, but I'm telling you now, I got a, a beautiful card at Christmas from a, a young girl that had gone out of my placement about I'd say eight years previous mm. but she's gone nursing now and she just said you know just to tell you that you know all the times that you talked up for me and all the times that you helped me I didn't thank you enough and I'm thanking you now you really did a great job and that was so nice to hear that you know that you hear that back after years and years and um, I suppose in the media especially if you look in movies and whatever Foster cares are are portrayed very often as people that are there. They're in it for money. They're in it, you know. They well, I suppose some of the American stuff that we see, and and people see that and they think, oh, are you only doing that? And it it was never. It's never a motivation by money for foster cares. It's a motivation to help to help people where they need it, mm. and it's that's very very important for me. Yeah, sure. The mm. One film I can think of, you can probably think of more, is, is Annie. I don't know if that was a, if yeah. she was a foster carer yes, in yes. Annie, but she was terrible. Yeah, 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 yeah And yeah. she was only in it for yeah, the money. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting how that comes through. Yeah, I was watching Hawaii Five O the other night, myself <laughs> and the my little girl that I have at home with me, and the boy had run away and he wouldn't go to school and I don't know, whatever, and then this other man was trying to help him and he was saying no I'm never I'm never going into foster care that man was you know he was terrible he was a drinker and he was whatever and myself and the little one were just looking at each other and I said now aren't you lucky I'm not that kind of a foster care <laughs> but you just have to laugh it off because really it's just you know it's mm-hmm. it's a terrible portrayal of of a, a group of people that now and there are people that are out there that have not been good foster cares and that have done a disservice to the children that they have looked after and that really is up to Tusla. It's up to our courts to kind of really, you know, put in the monitors. And the struggles at the moment, I suppose, in fostering are is the huge lack of social workers. And, you know, we have children who have no appointed social workers. We have children that are left in houses where they shouldn't be left in houses because we don't have enough social workers to go out and to check and see, you know, monitor and see what's going on for people. Um, and it just has a detrimental effect on a child's well-being overall. You know, what, what, what's the outcome we want for a child to come into foster care? We want them to have, you know, a good backbone and have a good life for when they go out that, you know, they'll be good functioning adults when they go out into the world. You know, and that, that's what we want. You know, we don't want people that are judged because they're in foster care or that they feel embarrassed that they're not able to talk, you know, to other people about it. Um, I think the schools have gotten a lot better than they used to be before. There's great improvements in the school. I think mandatory reporting has been a very positive thing for children in Ireland that, you know, are experiencing difficulties that's all very important as well. This is Aisha McFerrin and you're listening to the Stories from Foster Care podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. In terms of the challenges that you've experienced over the years, you mentioned the, the lack of social workers. Mm. Is that area of the foster care, is that the biggest challenge there, do you think? Or are there other things? 
Well, I think for the child, you see, Tussle is a complicated setup in terms of, as I often say, it's like the A team and the B team. So the A team is the fostering link support worker who would be my support worker. And they're always very good. They don't seem to have the turnover staff. Um, and you can be very lucky. I've, I've, it's been unusual that I haven't had an appointed link support worker. If I didn't have a link support worker, then the the team leader has been supporting us, which is we really do. I do really appreciate that. But it's a statutory uh, requirement that every child in care has a social worker. And what we're now seeing is that social care leaders are having to step up into the role of a social worker. And it's just not the, the same thing. It's not the same thing. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's when you're trying to advocate, in particular, say, if, if you have a child that needs um, psychology or needs an educational assessment or needs whatever, you really are struggling if you don't have an appointed social worker, if you don't have somebody that's, you know, you end up shouting all the time. Sometimes I feel I'm like a broken record, <laughs> but you have to keep up. You ha- you're advocating on behalf of a person, so you just have to keep, up you know keep up the pressure and keep you know asking I mean the social care workers don't get me wrong there's Mm. I've dealt with lovely people inside and I've been very lucky with the people that I've dealt with um over my 21 years fostering but it's there's a statutory requirement there for a reason um and I don't know I know they're they're trying to do um you know to encourage people to stay you know the social workers but very often I think what happens if if you're in college and you're come from Cork and you get a placement in Clamel well the first thing you do day one is you put in for a transfer you know to wherever it is you want to be and there's a big change around so what foster cares offer children is consistency of care Mm. but unfortunately if you don't have consistency from the Tusla side then that you know there are cracks that are coming up. Yeah, you know. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. like a foster or social worker comes in and they're probably allocated. You know, if their cases are they're going to court, they're you know their cases that they're going to take up huge amounts of their time and whatever. And like we all know that I've often been waiting for a call from somebody that's standing outside. Uh, a court a social worker because you're waiting to find out what the outcome was and to be told oh he didn't hear our case today you know because it ran over with something else there's huge amounts of time you know spent waiting in mm-hmm. courtrooms for social workers uh, there's huge pressures I'm sure the pressures must be terrible on um, social workers going into court <coughs> with the, the system the way it is at the moment Sandra you mentioned your um, that you started fostering when you're son was 18 mm-hmm. so you so your children were a bit older um <clears throat> but still and all they, they would have been around a bit and they would have had you know had relationships with the kids as well yeah what what did you see their perspective being or have they shared their experiences I with suppose, you well I have a son and a daughter I have four grandchildren my daughter has three children and um, my son has one little boy and I suppose they're always concerned about me I suppose that's their biggest concern is me. And especially if I had a placement that wasn't maybe going very well, that they would be concerned about, you know, how that was impacting on me. And, you know, sometimes, see, when you're dealing with Tusla, um, you know, it is it can be difficult at times because the wheels move slowly. 
<laughs> but when you're out there, like my daughter maybe might necessarily understand, you know, they almost want somebody to swoop in and solve the problems. And that's not really the way that things will work out for people, that sometimes things take time. You can't, if things aren't working well, you can't just move a child, you know, just like that. You know, that's not the way it happens. Um, so I suppose really, I suppose more so around me that they would be more concerned about me than anything else. Um, the boy that I had um, fostered when he was two, two and a half, he stood with my son when he got married. Oh. So there's there's huge ties with the children you know, um, you know, it's it's really as good. It's 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 lovely to see that you can remain friends outside of you know the the system and where the system. He still comes up to me now, even though he's twenty one. He'll come up and visit and stay for a night or two, and mm. you know that's really nice as well to be able to do that. Yeah. But like it's unusual. Um, I I think a lot of foster cares probably are still. There's a lot of foster cares that have, you know, before the aftercare system, a lot of foster cares push the children through university themselves uh, off their own bat you know mm. which was it's outstanding you know that that people have done that before the aftercare system we have an aftercare system now in place but before the aftercare system a lot of the you know we've gone to the IFCA conferences and we've we've heard you know other foster carers speak that you know it costs them you know whatever 20,000 whatever to put a child through university you know so we have an aftercare system now and Tusla will support children once they remain in um, long-term education, which is which is fantastic, but but the problem we're experiencing now is that we have some children that don't want to go on to um, full-time education, uh, who are um, you know experiencing mental health issues due to COVID and due to the changes that have happened, um, and there's nowhere for them to go. So they're ending up staying with the foster carers, but Tusla aren't able to support them in the long term because they're not continuing in education. So that can be very difficult. For a child that feels maybe that there was a rejection by their birth parents, that now, you know, they're feeling are, is the foster care going to throw me out now? Am I going to be mm. out on the street? You know, they're, they're children, very, very vulnerable children. And like, even though we have children that are at an age of 20 or 21, they're not working on that age level. They're probably working, you know, at least four years back from that. Um, you know, they've, they've had a great support with foster cares, with being, being sheltered maybe from the outside world and now suddenly you know I remember listening to um what's his name oh Robbie Robert, Robbie, Robbie Gilligan yeah, I remember yeah. him talking at one of the IFCA conferences and they were advocating at that stage for an aftercare system and I remember him saying that you know when your own child is 18 you don't open up your front door and say right there you go out you go you know you know, you support your children and you, you keep them with them as long as you can. And I mean, statistics have shown us that some of our children aren't really leaving the nest or they're leaving the nest for a while and they're coming back again, you know. So yeah. when you're a parent, you don't, you don't shut the door on your, your children when you're a parent. And why should you do that when you're a foster care? But, you know, the financial strain that's on foster cares then to be supporting children you know and it is quite difficult for for these children as well 
accommodation is as we were discussing this you know at home like there isn't accommodation every we have a COVID family page on Facebook at home now and every other week some poor person is up looking for accommodation or a house to rent or whatever because every place and accommodation has gone so expensive I mean guys hate to be trying to mm-hmm. get accommodation up in Dublin it must be horrendous to try and you know afford accommodation and and be out to feel you're out there on your own you know, and, and not have the support of people behind you. Yeah. So it's it's like even if you were ready to be independent, you've nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a massive problem. It it, yeah. it impacts on so many in so many ways on society. Yeah. Yeah. Sandra, what would you say to someone who is thinking about fostering? Um, I what I would say to them is is you you really need to learn how to look after yourself when you're. Um, a foster care you need to be able to not take things personal because when when a child is kicking off they're not kicking off it's not about you personally um you know you you need to be able to you know at the end of the day draw a line if things don't go well you draw a line and you start all over again the next day um while we were doing the training now it's just one of the things that I always do if I say something wrong if I misspeak or if I if I said something that I shouldn't have said to a child I'll always go back and apologize I'll always go back and say oh you know what I think I kind of flew off the handle a bit there now and that wasn't really like I say if something got broken or something happened or you know they were supposed to do something and they didn't do it and I'd often go back and say oh you know I flew off the handle a bit there now and I, I want to say I'm sorry that you know I kind of overreacted a bit and and what, when we're trying to teach children, the best way to teach children is by showing and leading by example ourselves. So it's very important. Um, when we sit down for dinner in our house, um, we don't ever have a TV on. Often it comes up with children, they don't like particular things to eat. What I do is I lay everything out on the worktop and people mm. come up and help themselves. So they, you, you take what you want or whatever, you know, what you don't want, then you leave behind. If you don't want mushy peas or you don't want cabbage or you don't want whatever, all the stuff is there and just people, you know, you give them choices. And I think when you, you have children that come into your care, don't go in with this idea that you're saving them because you're not, it's not, you're not saving a child. You're actually taking a child away from what they were used to. And mm. if it was that mammy or daddy drank every night or took drugs or did whatever, that was their normal, you know. And they're coming into a house where you shouldn't think they should be grateful because they're coming to you. It's, it's about working with them. It's about getting their story for them. And that work has to be done with their social worker. You know, what story? Why am I in foster care? That's very important that, you know, that, that's explained to children. Uh, very often when I've seen it with experience of children coming into care and somehow or another, three weeks gets mentioned. But what it is, is it takes three weeks to get all the reports ready to go to court. But the child hears, I'm with this foster care for three weeks. So then the next thing, a social worker is coming back to say, well, now we were at court today and the judge has now given us three months. And this child now is devastated because this child thought I was going home in mm. what, what are you on about? So that can be very unsettling for children so that we can be as honest as we can with children in a in a child friendly manner. And that you don't ever tell a child something that you don't know is 100 percent 
correct yourself. I would often say, oh, I don't know the answer to that now, but you know what? I'm going to check that out and I'll come back to you. And uh, if I can't tell you, then we'll get you know, whatever the social worker's name is, Mary or Anne or whatever, we get her to come and have a chat with you and then you can you can figure that out. Um, to remember that children's lives are private and if you want to be a good foster care, don't speak about ill about where the children come from, about their parents, about anything like that. I think being a relative foster carer must be extremely difficult because there's another whole, you know, part of that where it's your brother or it's your sister's children. And that can be very difficult. You know, being a general foster carer, which I am, is 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 almost easier because there's kind of more of a cut off, you know, emotional wise, there's a cut off. But where when you're a relative foster carer, I think it is it's have to acknowledge that it's very, very difficult for um, them. Um, and I suppose really just don't give up. I think it's it is it's not an easy ride. It's you know there's a lot of hard work. I would definitely say uh, do any training that you can do. Um, I'm absolutely a lover of Christine Enright. <laughs> I think she's absolutely brilliant. I've done I don't know many courses with Christine through IFCA. Mm. She's just such a yeah. wonderful wonderful trainer. Really is so uh, has great empathy for everybody. You know. So that that's I really really have appreciated that, and that's it really. Just look after yourself. You know, make sure your your own self care that you are going to look after yourself. Find things that make you happy, um, not just that. By the time you get to bed at night time, your head is fried and you're so exhausted. You know. So. How do you take care of yourself, Sandra? Well, I have a book club, which is AKA Wine Club. <laughs> we <laughs> love that. And actually, the last book we read, um, I had picked it. It was by uh, Kate DeWall. And it was, yeah. my name is Leon, is the name of it. And I would recommend that anybody who's thinking of being a foster girl or is a foster girl should read it. The story itself is told from the boy's perspective. And his mother had um, mental health issues. But the worry that he explained, it was just so, you know, enlightening the way she had him explain that he was looking after his mother and then they took him and then he was always worried about and he's a little brother. And but the brother, because it's set in the UK, the brother was um, adopted because that's what they do in the UK. They don't they don't keep them in foster care. Their system is different than ours. Mm -hmm. If they're going to be in long term care, they'll be put up for adoption. But because the Leon was older, he wasn't going to get adopted. But it was it was a lovely story. And Kit herself comes from uh, her mother was a foster carer. You know, she dealt with the legal system in the UK, so she's very knowledgeable on what. And I really, really enjoyed that. Um, last year, myself and my sister Susan uh, walked a marathon a week for Laura Lynn. So we we really wow. enjoyed that and we got great support around town because people saw us. You'd often hear, you get a text, say, oh, I saw you up by wherever, I saw you here, I saw you there. So that was great as well. And um, then other than that, it's really, it's family, more family oriented, I suppose. I love having meals with my family. St. Patrick's Day now, the younger kids went down to the parade and they marched with Clamalogue and I cooked a leg of lamb at home and we had a big fancy dinner at home. And we that's what I love to do, that kind of thing. I suppose it's curtailed maybe going out for meals. We do like our old takeaways every now and again. That's that's good as well. Uh, I do like to read. That's That's probably my biggest thing. 
Anything you'd like to add, Sandra, that, that you haven't touched on that you'd like to tell Anything people who are listening? I've said, said so much already. No, I just suppose is to just give yourself a chance, you know, if really we do, they desperately need, there's children that are desperate need of foster carers out there. And really, you know, just to seriously give serious consideration to it. Um, you know, can you provide a loving home? You know, that's it. Look after yourself. That's it's very important. But I really would encourage people to seriously consider taking it all on board. Thank you, Sandra. Great talking to you. Thanks for coming in. That's lovely. Thanks very much, Neve. It was wonderful to hear Sandra's stories and insights from her fostering journey. Sandra is part of the Tuzla training team for prospective foster carers in the Tipperary, Carlo Kilkenny area. The book she mentioned is My Name is Leon by Kit De Waal. That's spelled K-I-T-D-E-W-A-A-L. Thanks for listening and join us next time on Stories from Foster Care.